Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen O'Sullivan and I am the host of this show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders and experts in the field of leadership of self and others, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past potential fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. We want you to be you, to be at your best and to show up in the most authentic way. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello, hello, hello. I hope you are all doing very, very well. And today I would like to introduce to you another very special, fun and humble guest. Tim Lupinacci is his name and I am absolutely delighted to have him here on the show. And I'm pretty sure in a few minutes time when you actually start to listen to the episode, you will fully understand why. I'm talking to a CEO, the chair of one of the largest law firms in the United States and someone who is very engaged in all areas around leadership within the firm and outside of the firm. And he even represents the best possible leadership approach in his personal life. And he shares a few stories about that here in this show as well. But there are plenty of topics we are going to be sharing with you today. One of them is all about his own experience with leaders around him, and in particular one of his former managers who, well, it's fair to say, yelled at him. And him yelling at him basically changed his path going forward and his reflection upon his own leadership quite a bit. We are talking about as to whether yelling is okay or not okay. I'm pretty sure you all have your own opinions on that one and feel free to share them with us. But we are definitely going to talk about that. But there are so many other topics. We are talking about balance. You will hear in a moment that Tim is involved in so many different important matters in this world, having a very positive impact on a variety of communities and how he's doing that while being a CEO in a successful firm. Well, he's going to share with us very, very openly and authentically. We talk about complexity and why complexity is often self-made and how we can avoid it. Uh, we talk about the importance of going to fantastic gigs with your children and how to build connection on a very personal level when you believe, well, we might have grown apart a little bit and what role that plays in business as well. Uh, we talk about the role of CEO, how he supports women and other minority groups, the meaning of all of leadership, because he is leading a non-profit organization called Everybody Leads. What does that mean and how um, does he define leadership and how is he helping other people with this organization? And we talk about so, so much more. But let me share a little bit more about Tim with you. He spent his first 28 years of his legal practice focused on helping financial institutions solve complex problems arising in commercial restructuring and bankruptcy matters throughout the country. During his leadership journey at Baker Donaldson, 
Tim chaired the Financial Services Department, the Women's Pathways to Leadership Committee, and served as a member of the firm's Diversity and Inclusion Committee. He was awarded with the firm's highest award for both advancement and support of women and advancement and support of minorities. For years, uh, Four years ago, he was selected as CEO and chair of Baker Donaldson, which is one of the 100 largest law firms in the country. In these positions that I've just mentioned, he has led the firm through significant organizational change, growth, and, well, the global pandemic. He continues leading Baker Donaldson through its five-year Baker Vision 2028 strategy and the execution of its diversity and inclusion compact. How he's doing that, what he pays attention to, what's important for him as a leader, well, he's going to share that with us in this episode. So by all means, enjoy, and I speak to you again in a moment. Well, hello and welcome, Tim. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kathleen. It is such a joy to be able to spend time with you today and talk about something I know we're both passionate about with leadership and uh, impacting the world. So... <laughs> Indeed, indeed. And I, I said it to you before, it amazes me that every time I meet you, it sounds like we meet every week. So for the second time I'm meeting you, <laughs> I have this ever smiling, easygoing dude sitting right in front of me, <laughs> who is a CEO in a, a, one of the largest or 100 largest law firms in the US. And that's not the only thing you are doing <laughs> in a world that is full of complexity, sometimes self-made complexity, that, as you highlighted, has a political ambiguity as well, dealing with a variety of clients as well. And here you are, at least seemingly super relaxed and at peace with yourself. Uh, Why are you doing that? Well, uh, well, I appreciate you saying that. You know, maybe it means that we do need to talk more often because you bring it out in me. Maybe that's <laughs> it, right? Thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I, um, well, I appreciate that. So through a lot of failures and mistakes and learning, I know um, I've really had to build into like a, a, what I like to call my daily disciplines, things I try to do every day to keep me focused, keep me energized, keep me engaged in what I'm doing. Um, and yeah, there's it's difficult issues come up, difficult stresses, complexities, challenges that keep me up at night worrying and everything. But, um, I, but I just try to embrace this great opportunity I've got to try to drive a, a firm forward that I'm I'm really, uh, people ask me, why do I enjoy what I'm doing? It's our people. Uh, I love to see individuals uh, achieve their greatest success and and buy into a vision and see that they can actually elevate their careers. And so I'm kind of meandering here. Um, but some of it is it's just the, the way I've, I've learned that uh, if I allow uh, all the stresses and everything to then impact my outlook and my mood and my demeanor, um, that's not going to help anybody. And so, um, I mean, yeah, I get, we get in meetings and they're, you know, very serious meetings and hard discussions and, um, but uh, try to do it with empathy um, and compassion and just trying to put myself in the other person's shoes. And so um, even, you know, as leaders have to do terminations, I try to really, I really have to do that, trying to understand the individual and trying to work through what they're going through and how we can help and do it empathetically. So anyway, it's a lot of different things, but I just, I guess I'm generally a more, what is it? Glass half full person. I like to see the best in people and and don't assume the worst. And so I guess that's kind of some of the ways I do it. 
And again, totally. So, you know, that's who I am. That's how I do things. Before I ask you the question that's that really stood out for me right away, how you do that? Has it always been that way? And so on and so forth. Maybe let's help our listeners understand all the roles you play in your life. Because there, there, are, there is a variety, really, of things and activities that you do and how you serve people. So share some insights with us. Sure. And, and, and as I said, I mean, a lot of it, uh, on the on the uh, the way I approach life and leading and, and everything um, at this point in my journey has been through a lot of uh, lessons learned and mistakes made and realizing. I mean, there's a, a funny story. Uh, I'm glad to tell on myself, but I always, I've never, even when I've maybe not been as positive in in the, every interaction or try to be in every interaction, um, uh, when I would get angry or stressed about something, I typically am, I'm not a yeller. Um, I guess I had a boss who was a yeller. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so maybe that's what maybe I've, I've learned a little bit. About. But I do hold it in even when I've uh, even nowadays I feel, hold it in. But um, I, uh, one thing that I would do is take it out on an inanimate object, which a lot of times in the office setting was my phone. Um, I would end up a call that was, you know, I'd be so aggravated and then I'd hang up. Um, and then I would take the, you know, the, the, the ladle of the phone or whatever, and just bang it against the thing. Like I can't believe, you know, just in my own office, right. It's just myself. And so I've had to pay a couple of times for buying new phones in my office, but that's fine. But one time I was in an office where it had a weird configuration and there was actually someone standing in the door who was a very uh, mild, uh, uh, kind of, uh, introverted, uh, meek person, not that those are all tied together, but she was just very quiet. And she was going to ask me a question about a billing or something. And and I did that. And then I didn't know she was there. And she went scurrying down the hall. And I heard the story later that she didn't know what was going on. So anyway, oh. um, so um, it, it's been a lot of hard work to get to where the point where I really just try to um, harness that for good and for energy and everything. But so to answer your question, uh, I'm currently the CEO and the chair of Baker Donaldson, which is, as you said, a large law firm. We're in 20 offices across uh, 10 states in the Southeast, Mid-Atlantic United States. Um, I've been doing it for four and a half years. I'd led other smaller groups within the firm before taking on this role um, and uh, really been rewarding and hard. And, you know, we've navigated through COVID and uh, I came in when we were having some financial plateauing as an organization. So we were doing a lot of hard work and then COVID hit. But uh, but then it's been, as I said, very rewarding to come together and um, and see us uh, really thriving um, as, as an organization now with uh, with our individuals really growing and maturing. Um, so I do that. And then um, I guess about a year ago, I started through encouragement of, of a friend uh, thinking about like, what's 10 plus five years or 10 plus 10 years? And uh, when I may be thinking towards the next part of my journey, I'm 57. So I'm, I'm, I've launched a vision here that will take us through 2028. If you do that, then have a succession of a next leader, then uh, I could come back and continue go back to my full-time practice of law here at the firm. There's a pr- way to make that happen. But I've also started thinking about maybe it's, it's some role of giving back more in the community. I work with a lot of nonprofits, but um, maybe it's leading in a nonprofit. And the friend said, well, why don't you start one? Mm. <laughs> and so then it got me thinking. So I did start a nonprofit a year ago, um, really got it. The, the, the thoughts of it was last year. We got it kind of going this year called Everybody Lead. Um, to help partner with other nonprofit organizations to teach basic leadership skills for uh, underserved communities, uh, prison reentry type um, situations, or uh, folks who are coming out of homelessness who are getting basic life skill training, but then the, the um, 
leadership training can help them now that maybe they have skills to go get a job and do that. So I'm, I'm trying to get that built um, on my in my in my in my my own time and working on training materials in a book that kind of supports that idea of everybody leads. And, and then my 24 year old daughter's getting married in February. So I'm also in the mindset of writing a lot of checks um, and getting ready for a wedding. And so all of that to say, there is a lot going on, but um, all the more reason why I've got to be disciplined and focused and just energized. Um, so. <laughs> and, and you support women in leadership as well. Right. Well, and so some of my roles here at the firm previously has been um, we have a very robust women's initiative and uh, I've been uh, involved in leading uh, in the uh, in the past that the Pathways to Leadership Committee of our women's initiative and um, and our diversity and inclusion work as well. Um, and I think some of that is interesting because that's why I always like to know individuals uh, journey and like what their pathway has been, because we all come to all these different issues differently in different places. And I happen to have the benefit of living in a foreign country when I was growing up, lived in Mexico. So that whole cross-cultural relationship and just the value that I had in my own life from that as a, you know, as a young child um, is always just stuck with me about wanting to make sure we get, um, you know, all kinds of inclusive voices and leadership opportunities. In addition to situations where there have been maybe glass ceilings or people not having as much access and opportunities. And so, so what in my work there, I'm real proud of the work with the Women's Initiative because we got uh, very focused on um, continued leadership opportunities and expanding leadership opportunities and training for our women um, to become more involved in firm-wide leadership. And so um, through that work and continuing today, we now have um, industry, we're ahead of all the industry averages for the legal industry in the U.S. on women who serve on our board of directors, our compensation committee, our practice group leadership is 50% women, 50% men. We're not trying to get to any targets. It just That's just the reality of what it is. Uh, our office leaders and uh, our uh, our COOs is a woman who I work very closely with. We kind of run the firm together. Um, so our t- we have four business units and it's two are women, two are men. So again, we're not trying to get to any particular numbers, but we're getting the best people. But in order to do that, we have to make sure we have good pathways and training and um, leadership opportunities at lower levels to then they could people can be elevated. So so yes, that's been something um and 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 one of my colleagues leads that Christy Kreider does a great job leading our women's initiative. Um, I'm real proud of that. If you don't mind us focusing on it for a couple of yeah. minutes because it's such an important topic. You mentioned um diversity and inclusion. What you described is a is a large step towards real equity as well. Quite right. often when I speak in my circle of of friends, acquaintances Sometimes organizations about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I get the eyes, the, the rolling eyes right yeah. away. It's a topic that seems to be annoying quite a few people. And it might be solely my perception, yeah, but it happened quite frequently in the past. How do you overall feel about the importance of talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion? And obviously, it that has already been somewhat conveyed in right. your introduction. Yes. And, and how do you approach it in order to raise a kind of organic, natural awareness towards it without having the quotas in place, for example, the numbers in place that you just highlighted. Right. No, you're exactly right. And it does seem to be, um, uh, there are research and I've read articles about certainly uh, a couple of years ago in the wake of um, the death of George Floyd here in the United States, a lot of organizations became more intentional about these efforts. I mean, we've been 
working on them as a firm for about 20 years. But but then you read a lot that there seems to be now uh, headwinds for individuals like tired of talking about it even. Right. Because I think you got. And so what and I do go back to the and it's it's very simplistic, but like I know my journey and I've had certain interactions that have led to who I am and what uh, what I believe. Um, others have had different journeys that it doesn't make one's not right or one's not wrong. So I really just try to say, well, let's come together and understand each other. Um, and I really do talk about diversity, equity, inclusion in the broadest sense of the word. An example, um, we had... Um, uh, Memorial Day here in the United States, mm-hmm. where we celebrate, uh, you know, veterans who uh, people in war who had passed away, we launched um, a veterans affinity group here. So for all of our military, former military leaders, so that's a form of diversity. Um, there, and so we try to make sure that we're being very inclusive and and talking about it and making it optional. With not not, um, I know some organizations probably do mandatory training. Um, we try to make it optional and try to be respectful of that. And and some of what I always try to follow as the leader of, of the firm Baker Donaldson is the Baker in our firm um, is Senator Howard Baker, who uh, was uh, a, a political leader here in the country and is still talked about. He's passed away. He's, he served as chief of staff in the Reagan administration and um, ambassador to Japan. You still see articles written about him, how he was very inclusive and how he worked a quote unquote in the U.S. across the aisle to get things done politically and people wishing for those days when Howard Baker could get things done because he would sit and listen and understand and then try to work towards a common good. Mm -hmm. And so I always go back to that um, to try to do it with um, intentionality of talking about it and making sure that we're focusing on driving results and holding ourselves accountable on it. So it's a, it's a balance. Uh, And you said it's, it is challenging because of different views and perspectives. But um, I think, part of our firm is being respectful of the different views and perspective. And ultimately it's all to get the best advice to our clients. And I fundamentally believe that when we have additional insights, additional diverse views of things in solving our clients' problems, we're giving them better advice. So I know I've put a lot in that whole bundle of <laughs> responses, but um, it is about being intentional and trying to hold ourselves accountable to making progress. I love what you're saying because you come go back to, the basics, basically, we listen to understand. We actually listen to mm-hmm. one another. We want to know more about the others. And that's where it starts for me. I'm, I think the listeners know that by now. I'm not a big fan of quotas, of numbers. Right. You have to have X amount of women, for example, right. in the leadership team. I often compare it, and, and you're obviously a father as well. I'm a mom. I often compare it to uh, parenthood. If I right. tell my boy what to do, you must do this now, Right. He will probably look at me and say, nah, and, and I'm not going to use the word I want to use, but he would <laughs> say something along the lines of, nah, I'm not going to do this, right? And will rebel. If I help him understand how he can gain from the situation and other people can gain from the situation and have benefits, oh, there's suddenly a little bit of a trigger, right? right? Something, a shift happens. And every time I hear we have uh, mandatory trainings and we have that, that's mandatory and we have quotas, I'm like, oh, that's, it's really uncomfortable with me right. because not everybody is ready yet. Um, not everybody understands those benefits yet. We need to raise a little bit more awareness and let people join the crowd in their own time. Right. Not the right way, but that's my personal view, obviously. 
Yeah, no. And, and, and one thing you said, Kathleen, that I think is really important. Um, and I, I learned this um, when I first became CEO, we had a shareholder retreat and we had a panel during the retreat. It was kind of the kickoff and I was kind of sharing my vision of becoming CEO. And we had a panel that was talking about the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we had clients speak on it. Uh, and it was a diverse panel in, in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. And one of the panelists said, and she was a general counsel, I think, at a big company. She said, if you want to really try to think about diversity, equity, inclusion in your organization, the first thing you need to do is not just go get into a room with a bunch of people and create a plan, do an audit of your colleagues and see what they think maybe are some obstacles or things that they um, are challenged with. And so we did that. And that led to some really good insights that um, uh, about um, just a need for more focused mentorship and sponsorship. And of course, across you know, all diversity, but that was something like, okay, well, we can get better at that. And, and another one was being able to see the pathway to, in, in our in, in, in our world, you become a, a shareholder uh, of the firm or to leadership. And so we spent a lot of time working on the basics that will help all of our colleagues, but that we felt like a, a part of our firm was feeling like we could get better at. And so that was how we've approached it to try to make and, and try to hold ourselves accountable to do it, not just say, oh, yeah, that was good input input. So I do like your idea. I think you're exactly right about listening and understanding. And and um, and like I said, we've tr- not made things mandatory because I think we just have to one of my guiding philosophies, uh, it, you know, comes from that uh, really um, deep philosopher of um, uh, uh, it was one of the princesses in Frozen who said, just take the next right step in, in Frozen 2. But that that's that movie came out sometime a few months before COVID. But there's a great song about like, uh, and I think it's um, Anna is like distraught, doesn't know what she's doing, um, doesn't know what the what she can do next because she's having all these issues. I don't remember what they were, and she then sings this song, which is really interesting when you go read the backstory of how the the, the songwriters came up with the song. But it's really like take the next step that you know is the right next step, and that's all we need to do. You know, they, um, I think it came out of uh, this idea of depression. You know, you get up, you don't want to get out of bed. Well, the next right step is to get out of bed. And the next right step may be take a cup of coffee. And I know that seems very simplistic, but mm-hmm. in, in all areas of running a big organization, but even into areas that are can be, you know, challenging with different views, I just try to do what's the next right thing we should do. Mm-hmm. Um, not what Tim thinks is the next right thing, but the best thing for the organization. So anyway, <laughs> I try to do that. Now I'm going to watch Frozen. I have so far, to be honest, escaped it, and I, I haven't watched it yet. Well, it's the, se- it's the second <laughs> one that has that song. I mean, I guess, you know, the big song in the first one is about Let It Go or whatever, but the second yeah. one, it was in the second one. But anyway. <laughs> Which I believe is also a very important message. It is. No, it is. That's right. Yeah. So so thank you for that. But yeah, I want to highlight, <laughs> you brought up the listening and understanding. So you said, thank you yeah. for mentioning it. It was you, Tim. Um, so thank <laughs> you for sharing that with the listeners as well. Sure. And sure. man, I have so many messages and questions for you, but I'm going <laughs> to stick with Frozen for a moment, or better said, <laughs> inspirations you get through fatherhood. Oh, and in particular, right. raising a girl. Remind me, do you have one or two? It's just one, one daughter, yeah. yeah. Because you shared with me another story about uh, going with your daughter to gigs. Right. <laughs> what was the last gig that you have been to with her? Oh well, this it's 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 interesting. So the the the, the short backstory is that as a as a young child, of course, most children just love their mom and dad. They come running when you walk in the door. But then at some point, there's a shift, right? And then it's like you're the parent. I want to express my individualism and everything. Anyway, so we were in the teenage years and. 
I was struggling. I felt like I wasn't connecting with her. So I did realize she, I love live music. I've always been filled up with that and uh, uh, of all kinds. And my daughter liked music. So I started taking her a bunch of the boy band concerts like One Direction and Justin Bieber and Jonas Brothers. And so we could talk about that. But the, and then and then it got to where she's got this fiance now and they've been dating a long time. So now I haven't been to many concerts with her lately. Mm-hmm. But I think as she's thinking towards marriage and everything. She actually invited me to a concert in South Florida to see a country singer named Morgan Wallen. Um, But then I invited her to go see Beyonce a few weeks ago. So, I mean, the short answer is the last one we went to was Beyonce, which sounds great, but we're, you know, so anyway. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's amazing. You know, you're the kind of dad who then dances and shows the best moves next to her. (laughs) How can I, how can I pick you? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, that's funny you say that she, she will sit with me and will enjoy being together. But when, if I get too much, that's not her thing. So when I start dancing, she'll give me the, you know, the eye, like, don't do that. But one of the concert we went to our, when she was a teenager, we went to an Ariana Grande concert and she took a couple of her friends and for what, I can't remember why I was like in the row behind them. I guess I couldn't get the seats together. So she was with her three friends. I was in the row behind them on the end. And I was dancing, you know, to one of the songs and everything. <laughs> and and a mom there that I didn't, I, you know, just videoed me and said, this dad obviously is enjoying the concert more than his daughter. And it got posted on Facebook. Well, one of our one of our friend mom, friends moms said, I know who that is. And that's tagged me in it. So then it's like, it's me. And I'm like, oh, my word, what was I doing? So anyway, yeah, I, I do. But then she kind of. Keeps me to a very short leash. <laughs> Tim's going viral. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's That it was a long time ago. <laughs> but yeah, you also became, I'm exaggerating now, friends with Harry Styles. <laughs> well, um, again, I, 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 um, I do like all kinds of music and, and One Direction was really could put on a great production of a show. Right. And uh, so then it just became this joke with my daughter that I was my favorite one direction person was Harry Styles. And I always joked about, well, I liked his hair. This was back when they were doing all that. Uh, of course, I think he's a truly an amazing, talented artist. And I still get his, you know, his solo albums myself, because I think he's brilliant. And as an actor, like in Dunkirk and stuff, but um, he, there was one show we were at and he was walking down sort of the, the, the walkway that was comes out into the fans and I was like, Harry, I love you. Really yelling at it. And then he stopped and he said, oh, hello, dad. And then walked on. And so I always said, Harry, talk to me at least. So. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, apart from the fact that it is just refreshing and wonderful to hear the stories about you letting your guard down, you really giving it your all to reconnect with your daughter. Reconnect sounds a, a little bit well, much, but um, as you described, you know, at some point the relationship changes. It also is relevant when it comes to leadership for so many different reasons. So first of all, what I'm curious about is how much of that that role of Tim as a dad shows in your role as a CEO and chair. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to I was thinking the exact same thing. I do want to, you know, connecting it back to leadership. It's exactly that. It's it's this idea like I knew I connected, realized that she was very interested in music and I had that passion. So now let's do things together, build memories and and do you know something she's passionate about. It's the same thing with leadership. I, I want to get to know 
my colleagues and know what drives them and what um, how I can encourage them. And it's going to be different for different people. I, um, actually, we had a um, uh, what we, I think we call it our management team, which is basically our executive team. Uh, a lot of the people that have the chief title get together in person. And we did that last week. And around dinner, it was about 10 people. And around dinner, I had a few questions for them. And one of them was, how do you most like to be recognized? Because some people, they want to be up front being applauded. Others just want to note. And others said they want money. I mean, so it's, and so that's, that's just an example of, as we understand the colleagues we're working with and the colleagues we're leading, we can find those intersections to help them that will drive them and fuel them to, to even, you know, more achievement. Um, it kind of gets into this idea. Of, I think we talked about, you know, I think Churchill was really brilliant about doing what I guess some people call now dinner table diplomacy. He would get all these world leaders or political opponents around the table. And of course he would be drinking gin or bourbon or something and smoking cigars. But over time of eating food and drinking and talking, they got to know each other. And a lot of things got done because of that. Yeah. Um, even you could even talk about some of that relationship building with the president of the United States, Roosevelt at the time, and then coming into the war and supporting Brittany in the war. There's all kinds of great stuff that wouldn't necessarily happen over Zoom or over call or, or email or whatever. So I do think it's important. Now, it takes a lot of effort and hard work. I mean, it means I'm going to be on the road. I'm going to be spending time. Um, but people fill me up. Anyway, so that helps. I mean, I'm kind of made up that I like sitting around talking about and getting to know people, but I totally think it's connected as we know individuals, then we can help them um, and really inspire them more. We were talking earlier about maybe I don't need to try to help everyone. I need to help mm-hmm. inspire them to do their their uh, their best. So anyway. Yes, uh, such an important point you're making. I'll come back to that in a moment. What you've just described, or one of the points you've just made is about awareness. You actually with your daughter became aware of the fact that the relationship had changed. That's where it starts. It's it's no news probably to anybody out there listening to this episode. Right. However, how often are we truly aware and noticing these things and then reflecting upon them and then taking action? Often we rush through the day. We might be noticing it, but then we are pushing it to the side and that is it. And it's the same what you've just described in during this meeting, how do you want to be recognized? So not just noticing that people are different and have different motivators, but actually to ask that question. And, right. and the same you described earlier on with regards to diversity, equity, and inclusion, when you go out there and you actually ask the people about it, that is a wonderful organic way of raising awareness around the topic and making people think. And, and it's also a way for me to learn, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't know everything. I don't know much. I mean, I'm learning and growing, you know, growing. And and so it is. It's I, I learn a lot by just asking questions and getting to know people and and trying new things because I hear somebody's latest hobby is something, and then I say, oh, well, that's interesting. Maybe I'll try that anyway. But and you mentioned earlier on to me that was before we hit the record button that you have a leadership meeting or leadership days coming up next week and you're right. about to prepare presentations and so on the powerpoints for that when when i looked at you sharing a little bit about it you really seemed like this excited person who is <laughs> really looking forward to those days and to thinking oh, oh. about it yeah, no. Well, uh, and it goes back a little bit to like I really enjoy our people. And so this is um uh I mentioned earlier about the industry leading categories of groups that we have, you know, the more women in leadership than the industry average, but those groups for us would be our 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 business unit leaders, our department heads, and then we have uh, about it's four of them and about 17 practice group leaders of different areas of the law. And then we have 20 office leaders 
um, and then a few others that will get together in person twice a year. Um, and I was mentioning we're, we're this is the mid-year of our fiscal year. So um, our fiscal year is January 31st. And so, first of all, it's just great to see everyone. I mean, I, I, I go around and visit offices and you see a few of them, but then to see them collectively all together, I'm really proud of our group and what we've accomplished. And we launched a five-year vision last year and they really bought in and um, we're executing on it and we're making progress. And so this is a point to actually come back together and say, okay, how have we been doing on our focus this year? Um, some things to lessons learned and some successes to celebrate. We want to celebrate the wins but then there's some things we need to refocus on. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about talking about where we are in the vision. And then, uh, you know, with the economy being a little soft, it's like we got to make sure we're firing on all cylinders the best we can with the headwinds that are out there to execute the second half of the year. And so I'm excited about trying to fire everyone up about we got to continue to excel at the basics. There's nothing I'm not we don't want to put out new initiatives and new ideas. Let's just do what we know the clients want us to do. They want us to meet with them and they want us to know their industry. We want to help proactively solve their problems and be ahead of them, even in their thinking on strategy. So if we do all that, we're going to succeed, even if there's headwinds we can't control. And so, so I'm just excited working through the message. And of course, I, as I, and I'm doing reading of, of in articles, which then get me thinking about things. So, I, I, but the main thing is I'm just excited to get together and see people. <laughs> mm, yeah. And you just mentioned a few points that I would put into the space of how to deal with complexity and ambiguity right. as well. So I'm a huge fan and love reading about complexity. And I'm also someone who says, I think a lot of com uh, complexity is self-created oh, right. because of ego, because of lack of communication, misunderstandings, lack of processes, structures, whatever it is, lack of listening, perhaps as well. Right. And, and you just mentioned people coming together, building strong connections. We talk about the plans going forward. You mentioned the customers as well. We listen to them. What do they really need? We understand that actually, and then focus. I think right. they are some key ingredients for let's remove complexity. This is my view. What's your view? A, what does complexity mean to uh, you? How is it being created? How do you deal with it? Right. I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. Um, so if you think about complexity um, in, in this in the industry, I'm in the legal industry. Uh, if you go back 10, 20 years, it was very much viewed that the model of a law firm was like a partnership. And you just every year it was like lockstep. You'd move up in compensation no matter what you did. It was just kind of like that. And in the last decade, um, and we've really been attuned to it since I've been CEO, becoming more of a thinking like a best run business that we have to we have to have expectations and hold each other accountable while maintaining a great culture, which is what I really try to balance. But all that's a lot, that's a lot of complexity because there's a lot of change management, transformative thinking, things that we're not doing it the same way we always did that some people have been doing it forever. So we've got that complexity of trying to do change management. You've got the complexity of we can't control the world economy and the, and the economics of the, of the country or even the Southeast or our particular clients. So that's something we can't control. But what can we control? Uh, well, we can control um, serving our clients as trusted advisors, really knowing them and their industry and listening to them and helping them. There's an idea about uh, sales as an act of service. If we hear that they're really struggling with something, yeah, you could be like the salesperson trying to sell an, a used car that's just kind of all in it for them. But if you hear somebody that's struggling as a client and you say, I've got a colleague who's dealt with that before, 
let me let you talk to them for free and just understand maybe some options. Well, it may lead to work, right? But we're selling as an act of service. Those are things we can control. So really trying to bring it down to the, the basics of serving our clients. Um, we are, we launched this vision around being trusted, better trusted advisors. And we've got a Baker vision is what we call it, charter. So just reemphasizing this, the steps we know work. We know that when we visit clients and listen, it leads to increased work and increased relationships. So the lead measure is go out and visit clients, right? So so anyway, I, uh, I think complexity is all around us every day. But if we can figure out the things that we can control and and um, and uh, and, it, and it's not easy. It sounds like this is like, oh, just go do it. But it's at least being intentional about trying to think through that, because um, when the whirlwind of everything else comes, you know, the true north of what you're trying to do, which is serving clients. So it's kind of how I work. Think about it. And And it isn't necessarily easy. But the question for you is, what do you think? makes it hard, makes it sometimes a little bit more difficult? What are for you the key contributors there? Some of it is definitely if individuals, when I'm thinking about leading our organization, if I've not been clear about the why that we're making a change or what's in it for me, meaning the other people, not what's in it for Tim, but what's in it for them about what we're trying to accomplish. I think if I haven't been clear about that, I think that can create challenges and hard situations because people just don't none of us like change for change sake so you have to really have to understand why we're doing what we're doing i think um there's always going to be individuals and i don't know there's probably some i know that there's research out there like 10 of the people are never going to buy into what you're trying to do and they're just going to be kind of obstacles um and at some level just i'd listen to them and just say well this is what we're doing and i think if you were to execute on this it would help you but um, and it, this may not be the best place for you, right? I mean, that which is also a hard thing. So I think um, some of it is that. And then the communication is critical. I mean, what has surprised me about getting into this role most is how I feel like I'm communicating a lot about a particular thing. And then individuals just say, oh, you've never told us that. And I said, well, I've, done it. I've said this for 20 town halls now. But it just is that, I mean, somebody, my, uh, I've got a leadership coach who said something like, Uh, you know, you have to keep communicating until you're sick and tired of communicating about some an issue, and then you're about halfway there. So that's one side of communication that if it, it can get harder if I haven't effectively communicated. But then the flip side of it is, I think, um, if I have not communicated enough, it's well, I just lost that train of thought. There was there's another aspect of communication I think that makes it hard um, if you're not communicating clearly what you're trying to get accomplished. So, and that you're not having. Uh, unity of communication among your leadership team. Because I can say something, but then if the other leaders who report to me don't act like that, then that creates challenges, uncertainty and ambiguity. So um, I think just being clear and, and trying to be clear and simple is the best. Yeah, I I love the simplicity point that you are making. Trying to be uh, clear and simple. I am not always good at it at all. No. So I, I'm work in progress when it comes to that. <laughs> Yes. Um, and probably the listeners can confirm that. However, simplicity also relates to so many other aspects of complexity. Simplicity, as you highlighted, let's focus on, you know, our our key service, for example, on the key mm -hmm. needs of our customers. Simplicity in terms of let's get out there, build this, these relationships, have conversations. We know right. it works. Actually, right. listen to yes. it. 
simplicity. And then use simple language. And what I notice, and that's for me connected to ego, sometimes perhaps oh. lack of confidence, is we overcomplicate what we say and we bombard people with information. That's how we are being perceived as clever, uh, right. hiding our insecurities perhaps as well. And I sometimes think, oh, can we do something more simplistically and express it simplistically? And in all honesty, I've worked with law firms a lot, employment law firms in particular yeah. in my yeah. corporate career. And when we uh, partnered or chose new law firms, what I always said in those conversations was, I need to work with someone who can communicate something to me, a legal aspect, so that I actually understand it, who treats me like a little child and right. speaks that language. Because if you throw a lot of legal jargon at me, I haven't gotten a clue what you are saying. Right. You know, so really think about who do you work with? Who do you want to reach? And keep right. it simple. Right. And I think you have to know your your employee base or your group. The people, again, it goes back to knowing your group because it is, as you know, from interacting with lawyers, lawyers do tend to have be on the side on the end of the spectrum where they do have egos and that they're a lot of times are this feel like they're the smartest person in the room. And they may be, I mean, because they've got this education. Um, so I recognize that like in leading an organization of um, very smart, high achieving individuals, I have that, that gets back to probably why I talk about really getting to understand the individual and getting them and, and building that trust relationship with me. Like I'm talking about building with our clients so that they can trust me. And I've also tried to help shift the point that um, that they we have professionals that work with us who just don't happen to have a legal degree, a law degree, but we need their expertise at the table. And unless everyone in the organization is bought in and driving together, we're not going to achieve what we want to do. And so that's created some mindset shifting too, that the individual who you know has the higher education degree is being told to do something that maybe is different than what they think. I'm really trying to empower our business services professionals to um, be able to own and do that. Now, it doesn't work perfectly, and it's still this mindset shift that somebody could always say, well, I'm not going to follow that advice. But um, I totally agree with what you're saying, Kathleen. I mean, it's it's um, you have to know who you're working with in your audience and really trying to understand how to best reach them. Um, and, and again, it gets back to, I do agree, What's the simplest thing we can try to do to move forward? Yeah. And and I want to highlight as well that simplicity in communication doesn't mean assume someone else isn't as smart or clever as you, not at all. Right. But how do you how can you best reach them? If I right. overcomplicate my sentences, well, people get lost and right. I probably won't have the impact. And what was the impact of, I think, about a particular law, law firm I used to work with? We A built a really fantastic relationship. We could have very open conversations. I could talk about, I feel really insecure going to court with this, the information we have at hand or whatnot. I could be very, very open. But at the same time, by speaking openly, transparently and simplistically with me about what's really going on there, what we need to pay attention to, I felt more confident to actually support the case in the best way possible. It was a win-win situation. And it wasn't about me now knowing so much about these situations that we don't need the law firm anymore. You are still the expert. Right, right. Right. But it strengthened the relationship and it became a very long term relationship and partnership as well, which has been brilliant. Yeah. Just that's a great example. It. That's a great example. Yeah. It's a great example. And it applies, as you said, to employees as well, to colleagues, um, I think to a large extent, particular personal relationships too. 
Well, you mentioned, and you mentioned in there, I'm sorry, uh, about insecurity. And I think that is something um, that uh, it, it, in, in a lot of different ways, I mean, for leaders, uh, I mean, I have, I mean, I have struggled a little bit with that whole imposter syndrome, like I'm going to get figured out, I really don't know what I'm doing. But I think it also is important to think of and uh, work through trying to work through that. And I can talk about that. But it's interesting, because a lot of times when I get to know the individual, that maybe is somebody who's, um, a little bit um, can be a little bit aggressive in their views or opinions or not wanting to do things. A lot of times you unpack and get to know them and they're just, they're struggling with insecurities too. And so it's um, I think that's just another part of getting to know the people you work with. And, and in some instances, it may mean that they, you know, may need some help with that. So anyway, I just I want to point that out that I think that is a lot of things to, um, to look for in people. And you just brought up an important point, imposter mm-hmm. syndrome. Right. And I'm going to be very stereotypical now. It's not often that I'm, I speak to male senior leaders, executive leaders who say, you know, I struggled or I struggle with it. Yeah. It's more and more often, which I'm right. very grateful for. I just still work in progress that we become very right. vulnerable and speak about these topics, right? Right. Um, when did you notice it? How did you notice it? And as you alluded to, how did you deal with it? Yeah, well, um, I I feel like I've struggled with it probably most of my career, and I think some of it it's it's um, I I don't I don't I don't know if I can go back all the way to the beginning of when I've, I've thought about, but like I can't I went to a small liberal uh, liberal arts university, and then I went to law school, and I felt like I was um, I, didn't, I didn't like I didn't belong because I went to a a, a well ranked law school that I happened to get into, and everyone else came from big schools, so I think there were some parts of it there that I'm just going to have to work extra hard. To be able to just barely succeed, but um, uh, I think I, I think it's just always been that kind of idea that um, that I've just struggled with that um, sometimes with interaction with client early on with clients and with other colleagues, and that um, I was just not going to know all the right answers, right? Because I felt like I, you know I had to do it. So and so what I've done with it is I've just worked through you know working with a, a therapist, just talking about it um, and understanding that a lot of times we get these soundtracks in our head. <laughs> That are telling us things which is not the truth, um, and just being aware of when the situation happens that that we're starting to doubt ourselves. Now, I think it's always important to analyze. I always try to think about how can I get better, and I could have how could I've handled that meeting better. But the whole idea of being confident in ourselves and that we're giving it our best, um, I think it just comes from talking about it with a professional and and helping think through the soundtracks and making sure that I've got I've got the soundtracks that show about the positive things I've done and the successes we have accomplished would counteract that. And so just recognizing it, I think is one thing, but it's still, it's interesting, it's interesting how that the, the little voice just pops up and um, tries to make you, you know, feel that way. So I, I, it's a working pro- process. I, I feel a lot more um, able to work through it now than um, maybe in the past. Um, Cause I think when you, when you let that voice overtake you at times and you just are, you're responding and taking action from fear and from, that insecurity, and you may not be making the best choice um, when you really sit down and think about it. So um, anyway, I don't know if that, that's helpful, but just talking about it, I think is helpful. Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs, unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, 
easy to engage on-demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. You also highlighted it got better. It doesn't mean it's all gone right. and now it's perfect. No. I personally don't think it will ever be perfect and will ever be gone because there's also a benefit in that voice. I think and we mentioned it on a previous episode as well. There are different terms for it. Um, the gremlin, for example, that voice yes. that is criticizing us and so on and so forth. And they protect us to a certain extent. So right. I, I have imposter syndrome. I speak yeah. about it. I speak to my clients about it on a regular basis, support them with it. doesn't mean I'm free of it. Um, right. But as, as you did, I found a mechanism to deal with it. So I always think, okay, what's this voice telling me now? keeps me grounded. Um, it does. It helps me sometimes prepare better <laughs> as well. It, well, uh, absolutely, because I, I still over-prepare for things. That's why I'm like, I'm, I've got these days blocked off to prepare for the meeting next week, so I can be mm-hmm. over-prepared. But no, you, I, and I agree about it. It never goes away. Uh, just like a few weeks ago, and this was crazy. I mean, I was... I was invited to a situation um, which was great um, and I had a great time. And it was one where I didn't even know who else was invited. And we all got there. We just had first names on our badges to just it was it was it was, it was like a vacation type thing with a friend of mine. And uh, and we didn't weren't not to talk about work and everything. But once I got there, it was like there were a couple. I mean, I, uh, they weren't really like pseudo kind of celebrities. There were others runner or uh, CEOs of big organizations. And I was like what am I doing here? I don't belong here. Um, and I was thinking about that. And then on the last day we were, ha- I was ha- having lunch with someone and he did ask, well, what do you do? And and I told him what I did. And he said, I know that firm. That's a big, you know, blankety blank deal. You're a hidden gem at this place. And it just, so now I take that little phrase to say, I think we all are hidden gems, right? I mean, we've all got things that we've done that is so important to help others and impact others. And it was just a reminder that I was letting this little voice make myself doubt myself, but you know, we're all hidden gems in some sense in what we're accomplishing. So anyway, it, it never, it does never go away and we have to keep working at it. You, you keep saying, so anyway, you know, <laughs> there's something really positive coming your way. Amazing feedback. Um, and I can see on the one hand, those shining eyes, the pride of where I am and how I can yeah. have this positive impact, everything you do. And on the other hand, it's like, oh, anyway, let's not talk about I it know. for too long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I do. I don't, I, I'm, I don't like to talk about myself, but I, mean, I like to talk about leadership and empowering others. But yeah, um, yeah so yeah. And and here you are, a successful leader, a real human leader as well, which I admire. Right. And, and it's one of the reasons why I'm so glad you decided to come onto this show, because oh. I really want to convey to this world, you know, what's a leader? <laughs> what makes leaders right. successful? And in my old times, I'm, I'm talking like I was um, uh, retired. No, absolutely not. But 20 years ago, the way I stepped into the world of work was a little bit over 20 years ago. Leadership was still perceived as something hierarchical. I tell you what to do. I'm being very egocentric. Obviously, my little world that I got to know. And I learned over the last years in particular that there are huge differences out there in this world, yeah, which is fantastic. But still, there are loads of organizations that are led in a very different way than you have described so far here on the show. And it's really important to be proud of being human as a leader, right. as a person, and to show everything we as humans bring to the table. And that includes imposter, it includes vulnerability, and it includes in particular this proper human connection that you are talking about. 
Right. And authenticity. Yeah. And so I think, I think what, and why I think we talk about a lot and I think why I really am honored to be on the show, because I think you talk about it a lot is that um, I I think this is still a work in progress for effective leaders around the world to get better at this. Cause like you've got to drive forward. You got to make hard decisions. You got to execute really well. You got to drive financial performance and financial results, Mm -hmm. but I'm convinced to experience that, if we do spend sufficient time on, as you call it, the human element, or just having the empathy and the authenticity and the vulnerability and understanding and getting to know the people we're leading, I think it just drives financial results even more. So um, I know it sounds like we we was talking, you know, 90% more about the 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 human side of it, but I think it's because we haven't done enough of it in the past. And so it's uh, that's why I'm passionate about it that uh, I think it can be a real differentiator in your organization when you couple that, sincerely couple that you know, element with driving financial performance and achievement and, and all of that. Um, I think it just helps you do it even more. How would you measure that? I agree with you. Drives right, uh, financial right. performance, absolutely. And Baker Donaldson is not a charity. It's not a nonprofit. Right. And I wonder how do you measure it? How do you know that it contributes to the financial results? Well, I mean, I, that's a great question. So, I mean, I, I I can fundamentally point to like we've I've tried to lead with this type of approach and our last three years have been record years. So, you know, can I point dot to dot to dot? Probably not because it's, you know, 650 lawyers uh, and, and uh, you know, another 600 employees and business services and staff driving it forward. But I've seen that it's my that this approach has been working. But I will say we've tried to add some um, accountability into it where we do engagement surveys with our colleagues and um, and we want to hold ourselves accountable to have engagement going up, which I think is a direct result of focusing on the human side of business. And our engagement scores have gone up. And at the same time, our brand, we've got, we get an annual brand survey of, uh, which is a discussion with general counsels and exec CEOs of corporate America our brand of the willingness to, or the interest of hiring Baker Donaldson or the high you know, value thoughts of Baker Donaldson and the value they bring, that's gone up. At the same time, the financial results have gone up. And so I've kind of tried to have accountability for me as a leader through our board. Um, the, the financial results and the growth is one thing, engagement, but then also what do our clients say? And, and marrying that all together, it's all been going in positive. One year over year, like I don't think that's going to be then the indictment of it if if like the financials don't come out another record year this year, right? But it's got to be the commitment to stay the course, and so that's that's what I've seen the last four years that it works for us. But you're right; it's one of those. I mean, there's organizations that are thriving and having incredible growth with more of a hierarchical leadership, and and uh, like I said, I can't speak to that. I mean, yeah. so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've um, experienced with with one organization, I'm not going to share any details about it, obviously, where there's a really strong fear culture. So many changes have happened and and leadership is basically executing more than taking people with them. And I'm not exaggerating here, where people don't speak up anymore. They just do what they are being told to do in order to avoid that they are next on the list. Mm-hmm. So that's how you can drive financial results. Yes. I'm not sure how sustainable it is. I really don't know. Because there are some where you hear a lot about constant changes over years and years and years, and they still seem to be successful. And you can see the numbers and yeah, they're going up. However, 
could you even be more successful because you're losing people you have a lot of turnover in that sense you're losing innovation open thoughts you could have accelerated your success perhaps in a certain right. sense so i would always prefer <laughs> your approach uh, to yeah. that one well and some of it it gets back to your type of organization i think some of it is the reality of a professional service firm which we are that any one of our shareholders our owners literally could walk across the street most likely with their clients and they could walk out the door any given day. Um, I mean, there's that's overstatement. And so we really have to make sure that we're all bought into what we're trying to accomplish and that that they believe in what we're trying to do. And that's why it's not as hierarchical because, yeah, I could dictate that people do things, but then they say, well, yeah, it's such a very competitive legal market. I can go walk to another firm. Yes. Um, and so that's just the makeup of how we are of, of, of our firm that that's why um, I think it really, really works better in a professional services firm because that's just the reality of it. Now you shared a little bit about imposter. You also yeah. earlier on nearly an hour ago mentioned, <laughs> well, I have been yelled to um, or oh. yelled on. <laughs> past and i want to get to that story actually because if right. my boss and and i worked with one who yelled and threw telephones through the room <laughs> and so on and so oh, forth. Gosh. if someone would do that to me constantly believe me imposter would be huge insecurity right. would be huge and i would really struggle to see that as a great opportunity to grow and to turn into the best leader i can be um, right. What was the situation in your case and how has it impacted the way you're leading today? Yeah, it really was. a Well, one particular part of that is really it was a seminal moment in my journey because I was a young lawyer. I, like I said, I was really struggling with do I belong at a big law firm? Because I didn't have any I didn't have any lawyers in my family. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't have any clients. I was just trying to learn. And so uh, I was assigned to a boss when I got to the firm I'd not met before. He was known as a very difficult boss. And so I viewed it was a very transactional type of uh, situation for me. He'd give me a project, I'd do it, I'd turn it in, he'd mark it up, I'd get it back, do it, and turn it in, go to the next project. And at some point, after about a year, I was working on a big project with another lawyer who was about five years senior to me. And then the boss was overseeing all of it. And it was for a big case that he was working on, the boss was. And I was I did my part of it, gave it to the mid-level lawyer, turned it in, and I went on to the next project. Well, that afternoon, we got called into his office. And he's on the phone with what turned out to be like a dozen lawyers from around the country. And they're all saying that what the project that myself and the mid-level attorney had done was wrong. And my boss realized it and started yelling at us and said, you know, these a-holes are going to stay here all night and get it fixed and mm -hmm. yelling in front of him. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to lose my job. That was my thought. Not like, is he a good or bad boss? It was like, I can't lose my job. So we did stay there. We got it all fixed. And it turned out the way that this all worked out was we had a big hearing the next morning that all these other lawyers were coming into town for. And my boss had asked me to pick him up at his house. So I had the short straw of having to be with him in a car. And it was about an hour drive to the court, to the courthouse. And it was very awkward silence um, for the first part. And then he actually apologized to me and said, I shouldn't have yelled in front of other people. Um, now, it wasn't saying he shouldn't have yelled, but I shouldn't have yelled at other people. But then he said, the reason I got so mad with you, not necessarily the mid-level attorneys, I really see you as a leader, Tim, and you need to step up and own this project. Even if somebody more senior to you was working on it, you have to make sure it's all right, even if you're just 
low because I think you're a leader. Um, and so that really led me on this journey of how I could be a better leader. And I did all I had to teach my, I had to, what is that? How do I learn to get better at it? And ultimately, I mean, he still was kind of gruff, but as, as I built that loyalty, as I started stepping up more, um, he ended up being a pretty important mentor still, could get very aggravated and yell. And that was not my favorite thing. He wouldn't, it, not as much directed at me anymore. And ultimately when he passed away, his family asked me to speak at his funeral. So it's a neat kind of circle, but yeah. So I, I and that also, like I said, influenced me that uh, I learned a ton from him, including things probably were not things that I really wanted to do as I was trying to lead. So anyway. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> I, I'm trying to grasp that. Um, someone is yelling in front of others and i'm with you yelling itself isn't great as a reaction and often shows that maybe there's a bit of emotional regulation to be done however he highlighted that he sees leadership potential in you and that created some sort of a shift right and how you perceive the situation or yourself So, so shed some light into that what happened there for you yeah, well, and, and I don't want to say like it sounds like, well, then, you know, the 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 angels started singing and everything's <laughs> great. And I'm now like this his favorite lawyer. I mean, it was, but it was just I think it was a light switch to me that first of all, I'm I'm not I, I clearly I got the sense I was not being fired. <laughs> so and I'm like, I've got, you know, a house payment and law school debt and all that stuff. So that was but then it really was like. I had never really had anybody say that they saw leadership potential in me. And it probably goes back to some of even some of that, you know, inferiority complex I had. Um, and I had led some organizations in in university. And so it just really said, well, I need to figure out this leadership. So I got a book on, you know, I guess at the time it was probably that 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership was a bestseller. And reading through that and just starting to understand that. And at the time, listening to books on tape, you know, in the car, you know, and um, just really investing in myself, um, going to, a, you know, I think I invested in going to some leadership conferences while I'm just trying to get better. I'm still trying to figure out how to practice law. I'm still working for a boss who could be challenging, but it was really over a period of years where he really saw me stepping up and 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 owning things more because I was trying to do it. I, w- I wanted to figure this out. So it, w- it was a period for sure, but it did make me think, well, I don't have a title. I'm a lowly little employee at this firm, but I can be a leader. And that's this whole idea around everything we talked about earlier about being everybody leads. That's the premise of the nonprofit is that everyone, regardless of title, can be a leader. And I've talked to people at our firm about that. So that's kind of the arc of it all. (laughs) Well, it reminds me of a book we listened to again during our trip. Uh, So my husband and I by Bob Proctor, and he talks in quite a few of his books about paradigms. And that paradigms are those we need to switch in order to be successful. It isn't about um, who has the best education and went to the most privileged university and all of that. It is about what are your belief patterns and therefore habits and how are you going to change that to be more successful? So if you it, it sounds basically like there was somebody who stopped you on your tracks to move from or I just went to this small university or this specialized university, and I'm not one of those big guys who went to big Harvard Law right. University and whatnot, right. to, oh, I have leadership potential. And to start building awareness about, okay, so how can I actually grow as a leader? And right. take action and start to shift that paradigm, that belief pattern. And that's right. often, and- or that's what's needed. Right. And, and and you're exactly right, Kathleen. And then and then the habits that come from that, right? Yes. So then 
I used, I mean, at some point in there, I just decided like I had about a 30 minute commute by car to work every day, both went 30 minutes each way. Instead of listening to the news or sports radio, I would listen to leadership or, you know, professional development type things. And I wouldn't like, I would try to let it soak in and take one or two bits of pieces of information from it all. Cause you can get overwhelmed with just reading too much and not actually putting it into practice. But but that was a habit then that I was going to intentionally invest in myself. And so I still like now I love reading and I try to read a lot of different. Uh, so I wrote down Bob Proctor's book because I'm going to, I always love hearing other people talk about that. But um, so no, I think you're right. It, it's a mindset shift that leads to habits and it doesn't need to be, it didn't need to be a habit and it wouldn't have been successful if it's like, I immediately said, Oh, I'm a leader. I want to run a law firm next year. Right. I mean, that's like, probably unlikely to happen. It could have happened, but it's more, how can I just get better with the steps I can take? And then over time, and then at some point I was able to lead a small group of, um, at first it was just, by the time I was more like a mid-level attorney, I had a young lawyer and a paralegal, and I would get us together to meet every week for 15 minutes, like a coffee break to check in. How are you doing? Um, And then at some point I invited other uh, leaders with titles at the law firm to come speak about leadership to this, to our three people. And we would all just be learning. Right. And then Hmm. at some point I got to lead an office, you know, and, uh, and so it just, it steps. I, the habit piece is critical. Um, It is, And I know you've talked about that before, but. Yeah. I mean, we are throwing titles of uh, or names of authors and books around here, but, but I'm going to mention Simon Clear, who I mentioned on a very regular basis here again, Atomic Habits, where Mm. he says, you know, how can you improve, yourself or grow yourself your business whatever it is by one percent every day and and i love right. that it takes the overwhelm away it focuses on okay what's what's going to be my one percent today is it that i drink more water is it that i really make sure i i go for that run or is it that i contact a client i have been wanting to contact for a long period of time but you you keep moving on to growth or on the growth right. path and and that's so important and yeah, those small I, steps make it a big difference, right? They do. Absolutely. I was um, a reason I, 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 um, a book that's coming out in a few months. I happened to get an early copy of it. It's something by um, a guy named John Acuff, who also wrote a book called Soundtracks, which does did help me think through that, you know, the imposter. But it's a book called All It Takes is a Goal. And he talks about a lot of the same principles in practice that it's um, and it, I think it'll be out in the fall. But this idea that we all have a potential zone where we can actually start with simple goals, simple steps that then can build the habits, right? It's the same thing you talk about 1% a day or whatever, it, you know. And so um, I, I just to throw out another book that people can look for, um, but it really is talking about how to really turn. Um, we talk a lot about high performance and we can have options, I mean, little periods of time of high performance, but really what does it take to be high achievers, which is the more uh, thoughtful habit-driven approach. So anyway, just when we talk, uh, and I do love the book Atomic Habits. That is a great book too. And uh, for the listeners, we are going to be publishing those books we were talking about as well <laughs> in the show notes. So yeah. um, don't you worry. Uh, feel free to have a look at them um, and, and have a read and share with us in particular what you make of them. So I'm always curious about right. the opinions of others as well. However, yes. you mentioned Everybody Leads Twice And I think it is very important to focus a little bit more on it, because when when you talked about it for the first time with me, I thought, how is he doing it? Not just from a time perspective, 
that you are a busy man who magically can carve out time to prepare for great leadership meetings non-profit work and so on and so forth but also how do you approach selecting people who step onto that adventure with you helping individuals to understand what are the fundamental skills of being successful in this world of being leaders of their own lives and identify their needs as well giving those differences right. in those individuals so hugely stacked um stacked question however yeah <laughs> i'm i'm curious to hear from you about your experience and and thinking there yeah so a couple things come out so it, within the firm um, when I first was selected to be the next CEO, and I ended up being in a six-month transition, but we did a town hall that kind of introduced me to the firm. I knew a good number of folks, but not everyone. Um, and and I shared in that meeting a little bit of that early story I mentioned of my mentor and this whole idea that everyone, I viewed everyone at our firm was a leader and that we could all get better at being a better leader every day um, by really focusing on it and really working on it. So I, I think from the, the way that I've I've tried to help uh, and, and just because I had the benefit of someone speaking it into me, I wanted to speak into our colleagues that I did view them as a leader and that they they could invest in themselves and get better. So what that that that's maybe great words and maybe that inspires a person or two. But the whole idea is, but I've got to put action behind the words to do exactly what you said to get folks who really want to invest in themselves to actually learn and get better. So we've spent a lot of time with our leadership team building out what I call pathways to success meaning um, with, with a lot of training um, opportunities. Um, and we did have to, we, it, we did make it individualized with our more senior lawyer leaders is one sort of cohort that we said, okay, we're, we, I think we called it like the master class because in theory, I mean, they've been leading clients and stuff. And then we had our younger lawyers, um, which may have been called foundations track. I can't fully remember, but then we had our business services and staff, which is different. They're leading they may be leading more internally within the organization than leading their clients at that point, because they may not interact with outside clients. And so, and, and a lot of it was built on this idea of being a trusted advisor, because that was something I said, every one of us can help, that'll help us be better leaders and we can all do it. So we just built training around it that individuals would have the ability to attend um, on, on, you know, on the payroll. I mean, you know, and a lot of times we'll provide lunch with it. Most people will probably come for the free lunch, but let's, uh, you know, but, but everyone may not then take the action of what we've taught or the leadership principles we've, you know, talked about, or they may not read the book that we've suggested, um, that they read. Um, but several of them will because now, and, and they have an ambition to try to do something to go to another level, uh, to maybe then get a title. So, those are some things we've tried to take words and a concept and actually build out framework. And then I guess the idea with the nonprofit, what I did, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go out and say, Hey, all you nonprofits that are doing great work. I think the colleagues, the people you work with and you serve need leadership training, basic leadership training. But I went and listened to them because we do, we have some partnerships within our firm and we work with a lot of homeless organizations, uh, organizations trying to eradicate homelessness around our 20 offices. And I would listen to them and they're doing incredible work. Like I said, basic life skills, like getting a bank account so that they can have some of them even getting checks from, they didn't, uh, didn't know where to deposit them, you know, getting some basic job skills so they can now get a job to then help 
move off of the street maybe and 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 have an opportunity to do that and as i was listening to him i started thinking well now that someone has a job you know they're going to have a whole lot of new type of issues come up like conflict resolution maybe and what does it mean to work for someone else and and really just showing up how do you show up and all that um and and building the trust in that so as i was talking to these leaders they said they would they're the folks that they have really served would really benefit from that and so that's really how that kind of came was really listening what's the need organizations doing incredible work but maybe that's something that we can come alongside and do it not to um, not because i think it's a good idea but it would be really valuable so we've been just testing it out with a few organizations and it seems to it seems to be well received so far so those are just that's a couple of different ways i think about that everybody leaves so you really encompass this leader that wants to have a better impact on the world and wants to enable people to drive change. It, it sounds a little bit like a leadership slogan, but it, it is so important. And it, we talked about it again earlier on. Uh, it is so important that we think about how what are the small steps we can take to help. It isn't about, you know, um, donating tons of thousands of dollars to charities it is about how can i contribute to making a change and often we rely on politics or um which which i wouldn't do (laughs) anymore or on other people to sort it but i think we all can together create some huge change if we just pay attention to what's needed in the world and and how can we contribute with just tiny one percent perhaps to us no, I, and I know it, I think we talked about this previously. Something that was another one of those like light bulb moments for me in my journey was I did some something inside of me. We all have these different passions or things and seeds that are planted in us, and I had this desire like I wanted to change the world, mm-hmm. and I and, and like and, and like I was like, but I'm how am I going to do that? I mean, yeah. some of your listeners will literally change the entire world. I mean, because of something they create or invent or they do or write or whatever. Yeah. But most of us, it's not. We probably don't probably aren't going to see that. And I and I read this once that we may not be able to change the capital W world, like the global world, but we can change the lowercase w world, which is the world that we are in, which is the individuals we come in contact with, whether it's a family of four or, you know, a job that has three employees or an organization that has 10,000 that maybe you have an impact in, you have in the community you live in. Um, that was eye-opening to me because you're right. It seems all-consuming. Like I'm going to do something that a vaccine that's going to, I'm going to invent a vaccine that's going to change the world. That's not going to happen because I don't know anything about that. But, but if I can help one or two individuals in the community, get on solid ground and then have a career and have a family and be successful. I mean, that's huge. That's a, that's a life well lived, I think. And so I think you're exactly right, Kathleen, about we can do our part and it doesn't mean you can stroke a big check, but every little piece of it does help. So you live it and breathe it. And, yes. and that takes us to our last topic for today, I'm looking at my list here so many times, <laughs> that you brought up earlier on. Oh, I didn't have on my okay. list before. Uh, servant, uh, servant leadership. Yes. And you highlighted uh, an article that was perhaps in the Harvard Business Review, but you're going to double check that shared with me so I can share it with the listeners. I will. Um, I will. About servant leadership. Weirdly enough, or coincidentally, I spoke to someone today who said to me, sorry, I shared it with you earlier on, Tim, but for the benefit of the audience, who said to me, 
I have been promoted to a leader of this team that I haven't worked with before. I have also not been in this organization for long, but I have a team that worked with a leader for a very, very long time. I really struggled to find my feet. So what, what is it? Well, it feels like I'm, I, I face rebellion quite often, pushback, fear, and all I want is to be better to improve what we are doing, how we are doing it, to serve our customers in a better way and actually work together as a team really well. But people are really protective of themselves, their roles and so on and so forth. And I realized throughout this conversation, there has been a leader in place beforehand who may have taken servant leadership to a completely different level. <laughs> Before right. I share more about it, let's hear from you about servant leadership. Are you a servant leader? How are you being a servant leader, if you are, and what are the risks of it? Right. No, that's a that's a great story and a, and a question. And I did find the article. It's a it's a I think it's published online, July twenty sixth. But it's called "How to Be a Purpose Driven Leader Without Burning Out," and it's in the Harvard Business Review uh, online, hbr.org. And we I can, um, give you that. But so I, I would definitely, you know, before I read this article, and I probably still say even after reading the article that I I've come I'm in that end of the spectrum that's more of a servant leader, and I think it does embody a lot of what we talked about earlier about. Um, being empathetic, um, being a listener, being authentic with individuals, trying to that whole idea of wanting everyone to achieve their greatest success and achievement more than trying to make Tim get greater accolades. I want others to do that. The, the premise of the article, which I thought was really interesting, and it was almost like a nuance of it, because I do this, I would go around if I'm meeting with someone, I'm, we're talking about something. And then at the end of the call or the meeting, I'll say, well, how can I help you? What can I do to help you? Hmm. Um, which is all part of it. And then, you know, a lot of times they just say, oh, I'm doing good. Or they may have something and I'll take the note and then I go do it. And the article talks about how um, that taking the servant leadership to an extreme, you end up then with, we're in this time frame where everything, there's, there's just complexity with everything. And it seems like we're on 24 seven. And then if we take everyone else's burdens on our shoulders to, 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 to help, you know, uh, fix that or to, or to solve that problem, then we just can get overwhelmed and exhausted. And then we're not effective as a leader. And, and they talk about really shifting it from this idea of how can I help you be successful to um, what do you need to be successful in accomplishing your goals? And so that way it's more, it's still ownership on them. I may still do something. I can inter I can introduce them to someone or I may open up an avenue for them, but they've got to act instead of me solving it for them. It's a small nuance and I'm still processing through it mm. about how that really plays out. But I think it's um, it's really talking about how can I have the most impact on my colleagues and have them have great impact themselves instead of me just fixing their problem, which I'm not really doing that much. But sometimes I do take somebody talks about I take the monkey on my back mm -hmm. to go solve something instead of leaving the monkey where it should be, but just encouraging them on how they could get that solved. So it's a small nuance, um, I'm, uh, but it was a good article. I think it's a it's an interesting article to read. So I, but I still think I'm more of the servant leader. <laughs> and, and that's great. Right. Be right. Uh, in service of yeah. others. I think coming back to that story and to that example, he now found a team that was so reliant on their leader. I'm solving the problems for you. Let me get on with it. Let me deal with it. That it, it became an unhealthy relationship, being too reliant on somebody, not thinking necessarily for oneself 
And therefore, his biggest challenge now is how can I create an innovative thinking process here within the team? Right. And change means, oh, my God, I, I need to change something. Oh, my God, that's now scary. And it's going right. to be a process for him to shift that. And that can happen. That's, that's brilliant. He will make it happen. It will take time, though, because that's a paradigm again that has literally right. been ingrained in that team's DNA for, for many, many years. Right. So servant leadership with a little but that says, how can you, as you said, pass the ownership on to others? They still can right. think for themselves, but they know I have your back right. and I will support you and I will help you grow. I love that. I love that idea because I think that exactly is the point. It, it, you've got their back. Um, which is interesting because as you were talking, Kathleen, it also falls, goes circles back to raising kids, right? Because mm-hmm. as you were talking about that, we can do the same thing with our kids. We do everything for them and then they go out into the world and they don't know how to do anything for themselves. Exactly. So um, it's interesting the intersection of what we can learn in the family dynamic and how that can really influence our leadership and vice versa, I guess. It's, it's so cool that you're saying that because we actually then talked about parenthood right. and we were like, how would you make the change happen if your child has so far grown up in, in a servant leadership way? I do it for yourself or I, I do right. it for you. I mean, and suddenly you realize, actually, that's not really good for the child. Right. And actually, I need to change something. Will you change it from one day to another and say, no, now we are approaching it differently. That's it. No, they would lose their complete sense of security. Right. They would be completely disillusioned. What's going on here? This doesn't feel safe. So you will have to do it step by step by step and talk a lot about, you mentioned it early on, the why. Right. Um, guide them through it. Still be the safety net. Um, and that takes time. Yeah. So just for those of you out there who might have this challenge and face it at the moment, it can happen, but get support, be patient. And to, to you, a few of your points, Tim, understand what the people need because not everybody right. will need the same and the same process and the same approach, the same level of communication. Exactly. Ah, Tim, we have spoken about so much finishing off now with servant leadership, but everybody leads your style of leadership and how you lead others, how you prioritize complexity, going to Harry Styles, one direction, Beyonce concerts with <sighs> your daughter and so on and so forth. What is one key top tip that you really want the people to remember? I, I guess just believe in yourself, believe in what you're doing and invest in yourself to get better uh, and just think of yourself as a leader, even if you don't have a title. But uh, yeah, and go change your world. Go change your smaller, lowercase w world. We need it. We need all of us doing that a little bit. Loving the lowercase world. Um, <laughs> Tim, where can people find you and connect with you? Sure. Um, BakerDonaldson.com. It's B-A-K-E-R-D-O-N-E-L-S-O-N.com is the organization I lead. Um, and then everybody leads with an S.org is also available. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, parenthesis here, it's actually been hacked the last few days, but we're working through it. So I'm assuming LinkedIn will be back uh, by the time this posts. But yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Thank you so, so much for being on the show, for being a fabulous guest. It's been Uh, a pleasure to have you here. uh, Well, Kathleen, thank you very much. This has been a great start to my day and got me uh, really fired up just thinking and talking about these great, important concepts. So thank you. Brilliant. And to um, all of you out there, what is it you are going to do today to contribute your 
1% or 0.5%. However much it is, it doesn't really matter. But what's your positive impact today? Let us know. Share it with us. Um, I'm very curious to hear from you. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks again, Tim. And have a wonderful day, week, holiday, whatever you're doing at the moment. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Perhaps you have some ideas for additional topics, something that you're truly curious about. Please do leave your review on Apple Podcasts as well. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Take good care. Bye.